With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSIN, the sports betting network. Welcome in to Sharp Money here on VSIN. Happy to be with you. Almost at the midway point of July. I'm Jeff Parles. Amal Shaw's here. Wyatt Tomchek is here as well. See, so yeah, Tomchek already he was so stunned that I mentioned him that he actually gave me a glare. Look at that. Thank you, Renata. Mentioned me. So, yeah, you, how you, you doing, Jeff? I haven't seen you in all five minutes. I, in all five minutes, yes. Yeah. I'm doing well. I'm all, I'm all here as well as always. Absolutely. You, you doing all right today? Doing great. Ready to go. Three hours until we can get to the weekend. <laughs> so, Amal, let, let's start off here. Uh, we'll go into a full breakdown in the next segment. Uh, we're starting to get pricing on the the final we all wanted in on the men's side in Wimbledon. Uh, Djokovic straight sets over Sinner earlier today, uh, six three six four seven six, and then Alcaraz uh, beating Medvedev three three and three earlier today. So uh, we do have those odds now. Djokovic a minus one eighty favored, Alcaraz plus one fifty on the men's final on Sunday. We'll get into the full breakdown in the next segment, but there's no reason for me to back off what I said yesterday of. Until proven otherwise, especially on his service surface, it is Djokovic until further notice. Great price. Love Novak. That's it. See you Sunday. Over and four. Over and four. Over and four. Okay. Done. Done. And you're, you're giving Alcaraz a set. Yeah, I figure I'll be nice. <laughs> wow. Wow. Look at you. Look at you. Look at you. Altruistic today, Amal. That's, that, that's pretty good. <laughs> um, and then on the uh, the lady side, we talked about it yesterday. Again, uh, Jabor and Vondrasova, uh, Jabor is a minus 210 favorite over at DraftKings. Amal, you're a big college football guy. Yeah, I'd say so. So, Tennessee today, the, the big Jeremy Pruitt fiasco, all those stuff, all that came out today. So, Tennessee had 200 violations. That's not bad. Uh, they get fined $8 million. Woo! Reduction of 28 scholarships. But most importantly, no bowl ban for the Tennessee Volunteers. Well, they're doing it right on Rocky Top. Maybe they can actually win something that means something outside of 1999. 
I, lo I love these programs, fan bases, who think they're way more important than they are. And, you know, Tennessee's a perfect example of the type of program when you go to an SEC bowl game or a road game, they chant SEC. I'm like, no, it's Bama and Georgia, okay? Don't worry about it just because you're in the conference. Remember, they, they do that when they beat Iowa. Yeah, it's exactly right. City Bowl. It's exactly right. You know, I'm glad we brought this up because it's a little feature for next week. I want to ask you, where would you rank or would you say Tennessee is the top 10 most overrated college football programs right now? Uh, no, I wouldn't say Nebraska's that. Nebraska's one still. Wait, hold on. It depends on how you quantify it, right? I mean, which, when you say overrated, give me an example of what you mean. I, I tell you, the answer is still the same for me. For what their current, so what their current standing in the world is based off the perception of what the program is. I would still say Notre Dame. Yeah, but Notre Dame at least made, has, has been relevant, though. Yeah, Maul. but they, here's the problem. Uh, people think, and you probably weren't even born the last time. You weren't. I was not, no. Yeah, last time Notre Dame won a national championship. And when you start going on decades, by the way, Wyatt, I promise you, this is not a shot at you. Wyatt's a Michigan fan. I was alive when they won that yeah, half a national, know, national Yeah, the half a national title, by the way. They split, remember? Uh, anyway, with <laughs> Nebraska. So last time Michigan won a whole national title without having to share it with anyone else, 1947. I mean, listen, when your programs are going decades without winning, that's a problem. I, I think they're overrated Notre Dame. They just get so much hype. And by the way, if I hear another fool on ESPN say, oh, college football is better when Notre Dame does well. Why? Because your ratings are better? Who gives a damn? I don't care if it's Wake Forest playing UConn in the national title. I'm watching. What happened that Wake Forest and UConn would play in a national title game, unless if it was the video game world where anything is possible? Did anyone think in 1999 a small school from Storrs, Connecticut, led by Jim Calhoun, could take on Big Bad Duke no, and their six pros? That's I understand that. My point though. being is, though, listen, <laughs> uh, listen, TCU, a small private school in Fort Worth, Texas, came within 60 minutes in an absolute beatdown of a national championship. I thought you were going to say they came within 60 points. <laughs> I don't know. Were they even within 60? Uh, well, what was the final? They did get a touchdown. I think it was 56, yeah. right? Yeah, it was oh, like well, they got 58. They tied it, it up at one Sorry, point. It was, it was tied, it, right? Seven, yeah, it was 7-7. Seven, seven. Yes, and then it was the a 58-0 run to end the game for it, Georgia. It reminds me of the Big 12 title game in 05. Uh, Colorado led Texas 3-0. The final score was 70-3. to Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that was the Vince Young year, right? That's a Vince Young year, oh. yeah. Oh, man. I had forgotten that Colorado. Colorado was in multiple Big 12 championship games. Totally forgot about that. Gary, Gary uh, Barnett had a pretty good program. New Heisel in 97 had him ranked number one in the country. Uh, we'll see where Dion and company wind up going, but I think the Pac-12 the Pac is going to be wide open if it stays as a conference after losing USC and UCLA next year. Well, again, we with the Pac-12, and, and I know we've gone off course here, but this, this is okay. The Pac-12 with UCLA and USC obviously going to the Big Ten next year. Yeah. So it'll go back to the Pac-10. It'll go from the Pac-12 back to the Pac-10, assuming there's no additions. That's Remember, fair. San Diego State. What exactly happened with San Diego State and the Mountain West? This, this where they a, declared that they were going to leave, but they're not leaving, and now the Mountain West is claiming they left? Th that is a very interesting story because they gave, like, their resignation letter. Yeah. And yeah. then the Mountain West commissioner, she's, like, standing really gung-ho. It's like, no, you guys left. You're going to have to pay the fee or, or I love it. Absolutely. It's good. good move on her part. Uh, by the way, Jeff, I want to correct one thing you said. Yes, go ahead. Um, you said uh, we've gotten off track. Let me tell you something. We're talking college football. We are never, ever, ever off track. We can talk college football for the next three hours if you want. I know Wyatt will be mad because he put a nice rundown together, but I knew, I knew you were gonna. I knew you were gonna say something like that. Look, that's look, I said, you, that's why I said it the way I did. You, you can go as wherever you want to go today. It's Friday. 
Oh, that's well, the dangerous, what, dangerous you know, game the, Part there. of the problem is we're going to talk about the Buffalo Bills today, and I don't know where Wyatt comes out on the Bills, but I know you and I are not exactly uh, buyers on the Buffalo Bills as much as other people might be. Well, we'll get that later in the show, but yes, that is, uh, I, I think that was more catered because I know Wyatt and I have had plenty of conversations on my thoughts on the Bills, so uh, we'll, we'll get that a little later. But, you know, it, going back to my, my Pac-12 thing, Amal, yeah. where I know, look, we, we see the Big 12 now expanded. Obviously, mm-hmm. this year they're 14. They'll be back to 12 uh, when Oklahoma and Texas leave for the SEC, pushing the SEC to 16. I still don't understand where, especially in a television contract that has been a disaster for the Pac-12 trying to figure out where their rights are going to go. I still don't get why the Big 12 hasn't called, and it, it, it probably has happened behind closed doors, but I'm a little surprised that Arizona and Arizona State have not picked up and left and gone to the Big 12 already. I'm surprised that that has not well, happened. You know, that's a good point. Uh, I think Arizona State would make sense because you get the Phoenix market. For people that are unaware now, the Phoenix metro area is the fifth Huge. largest in the country. Uh, and I don't know where the TV market ranks right now, but it will eventually uh, elevate uh, – but Tucson and University of Arizona is a great basketball school. It would make sense in the Big 12. Um, but overall, I don't think the football adds enough value. I'll tell you the two programs would be really concerned about this realignment. And no, and nobody cares about them, so that's why nobody's talking about. Oregon State and Washington State. Of course. You talk about two programs that are going to be absolutely left out in the cold. It's going to be a real challenge here in terms of where they wind up. Oregon is fortunate enough to even be in conversations only because of what Phil Knight and they have been able to build over the last couple of decades. But they would have been left out. I thought Washington was going to be a program that potentially wound up in the Big Ten, but for some reason they chose not to go. Or maybe they weren't invited. I don't know. Well, you know, again, when, when I, I this kind of turning into a different conversation, but I'm good having it here because it's July 14th. I appreciate that. We'll get the baseball talk for the second half later, and we'll get the NFL talk as well. But I'm all just, just looking at the way that everything is busted up here. Yeah. You do expect Oregon and Washington to end up in the Big Ten. You do expect Stanford to at least be invited to the Big Ten because the academics fit. Right, correct. The question then is left of, you mentioned Oregon State and Wazoo, who could very easily get left out in the cold. Mm-hmm. What happens to Cal? Where well, Cal is basically, look at their men's basketball program. It's a joke at this point. Um, their football program is only relevant because Justin Wilcox can really coach. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let me amend your statement. Justin Wilcox can coach defense, allegedly. How Justin Wilcox has a job going 30 and 36 there at Cal is amazing but, to but, me. But I, I'll disagree with you on that. Look at how the rest of that, that athletic program is basically getting thrown away right now. Yeah, but let me ask you this question. Cal has the same academic requirements as the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA, and Cal, the last three years, has gone one and three, five and seven, four and eight. They've never had more than four wins in conference play with Justin Wilcox at the helm. Their best record in conference. I'm going to give you a quick rundown of in his six seasons two and seven, four and five, four and five, one and three, four and five, two and seven in conference play. Cal's football program is bad. It's been bad for a long time. And the reality of it is that's what's kind of hindered them. They would have been an, actually an ideal fit, right? Because you get UCLA, you get USC. You could have taken Stanford and Cal. Stanford that would have been a Cal. perfect fit to get those four as a quadrant into the Big Ten. And now Cal, because they've been so anemic, Basketball, as you alluded to, you get the right coach in there, you can upgrade the program very quickly. But the the football program, they are miles behind well, everyone the, else. The standards again, Mall, are closer to what Northwestern is right now, because but, they. But, I, hold on, I'm sorry, Jeff. Why is UCLA good but Cal is not? 
Why? Because UCLA has put more money into their actual athletic athletics. I mean, again, remember UCLA going to the Big 12, despite the fact that the California educational system doesn't want them moving. No, want I, them moving. Yeah, the University of California Board of Regents, yeah, yeah, they were trying to object to it. UCLA obviously went out on their own. They're doing it good for them. But my, my point is they are both working under the same premise. Economically, academically, they should be able to get this program to a greater level if they want to be able to compete. I, I think one of the things is, look, you look at schools like Nebraska. They used to recruit California well. Uh, they had the Peters brothers from your home state of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. They had Tommy uh, Frazier from um, Florida. They went nationally. They're no longer that brand. I think some of these smaller schools won't be able to necessarily get to that level. But I think big state schools, they have no excuse between the alumni base in terms of NIL. NIL has allowed programs that are not Ohio State, that are not Michigan, to come in and be competitive now. If you have some big money donors that want to be like Phil Knight, Phil Knight is Oregon. It's not the other way around. And let me tell you, without him, they're not even a competitive program. Well, and then look, at some point, Miami will get their act together. Because all the NLI NLI money down there has already been floating around. But look, all in the end here, with just the expansion and stuff, I don't expect the Pac-12 to make it to 2026. That's just me. We're going to look at the Wimbledon finals and also some baseball as well. We're just getting started on Sharp Money. is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSIN, the sports betting network. It's always football season here at VSIN, which is why we've already released our NFL betting guide, and our NFL betting guide will help you get ahead of the upcoming NFL season with in depth profiles of every team, including advanced stats, proven betting systems, and proprietary betting trends. Plus, best bets on season win totals, futures, and props. Become a VEASAN Pro subscriber today for as low as $19 and get your digital copy of the VSIN NFL betting guide today. Or take advantage of our summer kickoff special and get access to everything we do through the Super Bowl for only $175. Sign up now, vsin.com slash subscribe. Welcome back in. It is Sharp Money. I'm Jeff Parles of All Shaw, Wyatt Tomchek here. And now joining us, senior writer over at Uprock Sports. You can get him on a tweet. It's at our calendar, it's our guy Robbie Callend with us right now. Robbie, how you doing today? Glad to be here, Jeff. I'm good, man. How are you? Good, good. It's good to have you on. And uh, you know, Robbie, I, I just want to go some NBA generalities here as we're now past the, the obviously the early wave of free agency, but the two big dominoes still have not fallen here. James Harden, who is requested out of Philadelphia, Damian Lillard, who requested out of Portland. So I'll ask you this, Robbie, before we get to where you think those guys will go. Which domino do you think will happen first, Harden or Lillard? I think I think Dame has to happen first because I think to make the Clippers move, I think that also is going to end up being like a three-team deal. Um, I think there's there, that's probably what part of the hangup is, is how to get some more assets that can go uh, maybe to LA in order to get a Terrence man or somebody that, that Philly is trying to get um, and redirect some money. The only way to do that is to get involved with the same teams that are trying to become the third team in the heat, uh, the heat package for Damian Lillard. So I think they're just, they just have to wait. Like Philly just has to wait. Um, and also I think Philly is willing to try to drag this out as long as possible because, you know, there are reports now that they would like to try and mend some fences this year and maybe even start the season with James Harden or take this into to September or into camp. Uh, so I think Damian Lillard is the one that happens first, just because 
all the teams that would be third teams uh, in a Harden trade are going to first want to see what they can get out of the Dame trade, whether that's adding Tyler Hero or, or, or whatever it is to, to shuffle around picks uh, and get Portland better draft assets uh, out of this deal. Right, we got a kind of a few questions here in reference to Dame. First of all, if you're Portland, don't you have to wait for the best possible deal that comes in for you? And then the second thing is you're probably not going to get dollar for dollar what you deserve on Damian Lillard, but does a player like Tyler Hero intrigue you or what kind of draft capital are you looking for if you're Cronin and company there in Portland? Yeah, it's really interesting. So I, I think you absolutely wait for the right deal. I know Dame has made very clear he wants to go to Miami, but I think if you're Portland, you have to to see if something else is out there. You have to see if Toronto's willing to put the package out there that maybe has OG and Anobi and some picks. You have to see if a team like New Orleans or Utah or one of these teams that has a ton of draft picks gets in the mix. And I think that the thing about the draft picks for Portland is they don't want draft picks in 2030. Okay. That's not when they want to keep adding young guys, right? Like they don't want these 2029, 2030 picks. Cause then you're just in the same position again with scoot Henderson. Okay. You want to be adding guys in the next three drafts before scoots extension eligible to start to build that young core. And that is the biggest trick with this Miami deal is they can't send out those assets. They can only send out the way in advance ones. Uh, and so that's, what's holding this up. I don't think Tyler hero makes a lot of sense for what Portland has. Uh, you have scoot, you have shade on and you have Anthony Simons. I think those three can work together as a young core in the backcourt, but you don't add another backcourt guy to that, which is why I think a deal that involves some of these other teams that maybe have front court guys, uh, would be more intriguing. And I think that's why they're having such a hangup is finding a team that could be reroute hero, whether that's San Antonio, whether that's, you know, one of these other places that have some picks that might, Brooklyn that have picks that see him as more valuable. Uh, I don't think you want another guy who wants the ball in his hands as much as Tyler hero does. If you're Portland and you're trying to build around scoot and shade on and, and maybe even Anthony, although he could also be on the block. Jeff, I got to tell you, Robbie just said the best thing I've heard the whole time about this Damian Lillard trade, which is the rookie deal and the scope of time you have with uh, right now with Scoot Henderson and, of course, Shaden Sharp. I have not heard anybody else mention this, and we talk about this in the NFL constantly, guys, with p players being on a rookie deal. Joe Burrow and Chase, Jamar Chase are the first two that come to mind. I thought that was an excellent point. Well, and then, Robbie, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll bring it this way because, look, San Antonio is a war chest of assets. They have a war chest mm -hmm. of draft picks. Uh, obviously Victor's there now. I know on the surface it seems, well, they may not be ready to win for two, three years, but if you're Dame and San Antonio is like, you know, we want to take the crack at this. We get a guy who we think could be like Tim Duncan was when he was drafted. And of course, David Robinson was there, was already on his way to the Hall of Fame. Trade for a Hall of Fame guy in Dame Lillard. I mean, there are worse options for that type of deal than what San Antonio could offer for Damian Lillard in Portland. Yeah, I think absolutely. And it, it depends again, it, it, it all comes down to what is leaving. You know, I don't think, I think what Dame is worried about is a Carmelo Anthony situation where he pushed his way to New York and New York gave up everything that they had to get him. And I think that's the appeal of Miami is like Miami's not making this deal, including Bam Adebayo or Jimmy Butler. So you at least go to a place that's going to have three stars that fit really well together. So I understand why Dame wants to be there and wants that to be the deal. I also understand why Portland doesn't want what Miami has to offer. So I'm with you. I think San Antonio could be really interesting, uh, but Dame would have to be really sold on 
Wembenyama being a guy in two years that is a top 15 guy in the league, right? Like he has to be pretty sold that he's going to be uh, all NBA caliber by his third year, second year in the league. Um, and so that, that it's really interesting because they do have a lot of, they have the wings that I think Portland would be interested in. Like if you included Jeremy, so on, if you included, uh, you know, maybe even a Kelvin, I think you try to hold on to Devin Vassell and maybe Kelvin Johnson go out, but like you, they have the wings that kind of fit maybe a touch better. Um, particularly so on, I think could be a really interesting piece for, for Portland. Um, so it, it could work with, you know, and they can send a ton of picks and the, like, like we mentioned the immediate picks. Um, but you know, they also would need to have a plan in place to add some more veterans very quickly. Like next summer, they would have to have a plan in place to add some wing, uh, wing vets to, to kind of fill that, that, that all in. Robbie, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's go towards the regular season. Give me a couple of teams that intrigue you from both conferences or somebody you thought did a great job in free agency or re-signings. Just kind of where you come out on some of the things as we look towards 23-24. Yeah, it was a really interesting summer in that, you know, we didn't see a lot of big player movement in free agency. It was a ton of guys re-signing. Um, so I think the teams that did well were, you know, Phoenix, I think did well on the vet minimum market. They, they were obviously the team that every, every guy in that level said, that's the place I'm going to have the best opportunity. I think golden state struck out on some guys. LA did pretty well. Uh, they had a little more money to spend, but you know, uh, Denver's kind of struck out on some guys. Um, and so I think Phoenix is the team that of those contenders, I think position themselves the best. Cause I mean, they were talking about working out like Jabari Parker and Stanley Johnson. And we were like, who are they going to fill this roster out with? And then they immediately made seven deals with like legit NBA guys. Uh, so I think they did a, a very solid job. I still don't know about backup bigs there, but that's a question for them to figure out. Um, I like what, you know, I mean, like uh, in the East is especially weird because I don't think anybody did particularly well. I like Dante DiVincenzo for the, for the Knicks. I think, you know, in the immediate, that's an upgrade on Obi Toppin in terms of what left and what came in. So I think they did a decent job uh, there, but pretty much everybody else in the East until we get a, a, a move here for if the heat can get Dame, everybody kind of tread water, you know, Milwaukee did what they had to do in bringing back guys, but they also lost a couple contributors in Javon Carter um, and, and, and others. And so, I don't think anybody in the East positioned themselves to really make a, make a big run. I think in the West, I like what Phoenix did, you know, Dario Saric makes some sense for, for golden state. Chris Paul makes sense. I think they did a good job of kind of reestablishing. This is the window. And then uh, the Lakers have done solid. I think the teams that took a step back Denver minorly. Um, I'm still not sure what Utah's plan is. I don't know what OKC is doing. They didn't really try to take a step forward uh, other than Chet comes in and he's intriguing. Uh, and then the Clippers obviously are waiting on the James Harden thing. If they don't get that done, the Clippers took a step. Robbie, we have about a minute to go here. What are your thoughts on this in-season tournament that's going to be coming into play this year? Look, I mean, like, I think it is interesting. I think from a betting standpoint, it makes things a little exciting. It gives us something to kind of focus on that first half of the year when you're just kind of grinding regular season games. I, I, I don't think it's a big deal right now. Uh, either way, I hope that it can make some of these early regular season games a little more, uh, have a little more stakes and have guys take, take a little more effort into them. Uh, we'll see if that happens, but I do, I, I don't think there's anything to be upset about. Like I've seen people be like, Oh, this is ridiculous. And it's like, what, what are you mad about? They didn't, they added two games. 
so like I don't know what what the anger is, but I, I think it'll be interesting. I'm interested to see what it looks like and how teams, you know, what teams take it seriously because it's an opportunity for non-title contenders to maybe play for something. He's Robbie Callen. Again, find his work over at Uproxx on the tweets at our calendar. Robbie, always a pleasure. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. We are heading to Western New York next. Buffalo Bills talk here on Sharp Money. This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSIN, the sports betting network. Download the DraftKings app today. New customers can bet $5 and get 150 in bonus instantly. Use the promo code VSIN when you sign up. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. Welcome back in. It is Sharp Money. I'm Jeff Parles. Amal Shah's here. Why Tom Check's here as well. So we haven't talked to any NFL so far today, so we're going to change that right now. So Amal, this has been a common theme this week of just going through divisions and, and all sorts of things. But we're not going to go to the AFC East, where you said earlier in the week you believe it's the best division of football. I think it's the second-best division of football, where the AFC North top to bottom is stronger than the East top to bottom because Pittsburgh and Cleveland, to me, are much better than what New England is. And I think New England has the potential to be six-win bad, five-win bad even. I'm not going to die on this hill. I'm not really that like attached to either team. Division. Division, yeah, sure. but I was just thinking about it. I give a slight edge to Cincinnati over Buffalo. Yes. Um, I give a slight edge to Baltimore over the second place team in the East, but then I would put the second and third, uh, the, the, the third and the, fourth over uh, the others. Yes. I think the Jets and Miami are both going to be better than Baltimore. So I understand on the, because I, I, I don't, I just I think you're underestimating the Ravens. I just don't trust Lamar to play all season. That's just what it comes down to at this point. I don't think he can get through a whole season without missing four or five games. But we'll see. The Ravens are improved weapon-wise, but that's a different discussion for a different time because this is on the Buffalo Bills where Amal, I said this earlier in the week, and I'm standing by this. The market is treating Buffalo like the market should treat the Bengals. And the Bengals are treated the way that Buffalo should be treated. Mm -hmm. Where I think we're now, look, Buffalo's in the AFC title game in 2020. They right. should have been in the Super Bowl in 2021. Let's face it. They should yeah, have been squib, there. Squib kick and they're there. Squib kick and they're, and, they're in, and they're in the Super Bowl. Last year, they get pummeled at home by Cincinnati in the playoffs. But Amal, this has been a very weird offseason for the Bills. Where Stephon Diggs is clearly unhappy. Right. Where Josh Allen even publicly made it out to be that this could be a problem for them with what's going on with Diggs. Uh, they fired Leslie Frazier. So Sean McDermott's taking on more responsibility and calling the defense, taking away from his head coaching responsibilities a little bit. Uh, Ken Dorsey's not Brian Dable. We learned that last year. I don't think that's even up for debate anymore. And I'm all, look, could this be like in the cyclical things in the NFL where it feels like, all right, the window may have closed and Buffalo snaps back up and all of a sudden, well, they're the one seed and, the, the road to the Super Bowl goes through the Ralph. Yeah, it's in play. But I don't see that happening. Because the way that Buffalo's schedule breaks down them all, where I know there are gonna there are a lot of question marks for some about the Jets. The one thing the Jets did in the two matchups with Buffalo last year is they confused the living daylights out of Josh Allen both games. 
It was the two lowest-scoring games Buffalo had in the regular season last year were the two matchups against the Jets. Allen turned it over multiple times in the first game, including one horrible red zone pick early in the game that really set the tone for what that game was going to be and also led to a Jet touchdown, a pick in the second half. And then Quinton Williams gets hurt, and that was the only reason Buffalo was able to move the ball in the second game against the Jets. They had no points for the first 28 minutes against New York. Williams gets hurt around the two-minute warning in the first half, and then Buffalo ends up winning the game by a touchdown. This, Amal, feels like that, again, and we may learn early because those are three games Buffalo's favored. They're going to be favored the first month of the season plus. But I don't see this team being a top-end contender, and they are more likely to miss the postseason altogether than be in the AFC title game. I, ooh, I don't think they're going to miss the playoffs. I still think they're a pretty good football team. Remember, they lose. Who's the kid who went to Chicago? Linebacker. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds. Edmonds is yeah. gone, yes. Like him a lot. He He's a top-notch player. I'm not worried about the Diggs situation right now. That's not a concern for me. But who's the second guy that emerges for this team? That's what the big problem is. They don't have that consistent second receiver. I think Stephon Diggs is tremendous. Uh, loss to Devin Singletary is not that big of a deal. They do bring in uh, Latavius Murray. Murray. I don't even know why. I just said that because I always liked him when he was good like seven years ago. Well, they have a really, they have a big time mishmash in that running back room now yeah. where Cook's going to be the lead guy. But if Murray and Harris, who I both think are two guys on the wrong side sides of their careers at this point. Well, how do you like the, the draft of Dalton Kincaid? Who I thought was probably the best tight end Weird coming out pick. of college. They don't need that. He's the same guy. Wait, 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 what did you just say? I thought he was his game against USC. He had the first game. I mean, fabulous. I know he's a Las Vegas kid, so I'm hyping him up. But I already he, knew that. That's why I was waiting for him to he, come. He, he, <laughs> I, I would have been very happy if the Green Bay Packers drafted him. But I was really impressed with Dalton Kincaid's. It's a game. weird pick because he's the same guy as Dawson Knox in the NFL well, to me. I, I think Kincaid's a better player than that, but. I, I can appreciate what you're saying. Um, I think he's going to be good in the passing game. I think he can be very effective. But again, he's a rookie. How much do you want to put on a rookie in this situation? The one thing that with Buffalo that is, during this run of becoming a legitimate Super Bowl contender, at least to most of them all, has been they have beaten the living bejesus out of bad teams in this run. Go ahead. They, they have one. They usually have one game a year against a bad team that makes no sense i.e. that 2021 game against Jacksonville that they lost 9-6, which is still the most befuddling result in the league in the last five years. But at some point, the ability to bully the bad teams is not going to be there anymore. And part of the reason that they were able to bully the teams was, look, maybe I'm giving Brian Dable too much credit, but you watched Daniel Jones pre-Brian Dable, Mm -hmm. Amal. He was a mediocre quarterback at best, and he was squarely, squarely in the middle of the league as opposed to the bottom third of the league last year, right. which is a pretty market improvement for a guy. I mean, look, at the Giants paid him a ton of money because of what they believe in him now with the right guy coaching him. I so wish when you made that comment right now you were a Giants fan instead of a Jets I, fan. And I'm not, so don't worry <laughs> about that. But, but I'm all, when this is all said and done for Buffalo, this – really feels like the year where you are not going to be able to bully teams in a regular season like you have. Because the one thing that Dable was able to do was he was able to get Josh Allen in positions where he wasn't turning the ball over. And by the second half of last year, Ken Dorsey was unable to do that. Really, it was that Sunday night game against the Packers 
where yes, Buffalo won the game. Green Bay got a really nice cover in that game that they had no business covering. But that was the moment where it's like, okay, the Josh Allen that was great, that was never turning the ball over, that we saw for about equivalent to a season domination from the last month of that, of the 2021 season to that point in the 2022 season. That guy's not there anymore. And yes, Josh Allen can do things that no one else can do in this league. He is a gazelle with his legs. He is the strongest arm in the league. But if you get a guy who's turning the ball over like he did the second half of the season, and that's the guy I think he is now, where you get it's boom or bust, you're going to be seeing a lot more turnovers, and that's going to keep Buffalo from being this juggernaut that just slaughtered bad teams like they did during the run when they were a legitimate top three team in the league. Yeah, I look, where do you rank them overall, though? Where do I have them overall? Yeah, just, I mean, you don't have to spend too much Cleveland, time. Cleveland, excuse me, uh, not Cleveland. Uh, Kansas City is better than them. Cincinnati. Cincinnati is better than them. Nope. And then, look, I will, I will catch flack for this. I think Jacksonville is better than them. And Jacksonville gets them in London in week five, and Jacksonville will beat them in week five. Why, why didn't you tell me I was going to be working with someone who's delusional? I'm going to say Jacksonville's about so, two years away from, from being better than Buffalo. Here, here's I'm not th- saying they can't be better, but at this point in time, I wouldn't put them ahead. I, look, for me, and, and if we're going off of end-of-season record, Amal, mm-hmm. Jacksonville's schedule's way easier than Buffalo as well. Well, also, you get six games in the division, right? right. You get to play Indianapolis, and, Tennessee, and, and uh, who else in there? Houston. It's Houston. Yeah. And, and, and as I've said, with, with Jacksonville, and we looked at Jacksonville's schedule, and I, I actually think the best Jacksonville-related bet is to bet them to get the number one seed them all. Mm-hmm. Not, not to get through the playoffs, but to just get the one seed. Because they play Kansas City at home. They play Cincinnati at home. Yeah. They play Baltimore at home. They play San Francisco at home. And they play Buffalo and London. So the five best teams they play this season – Jacksonville gets at home or in London, which is essentially a home game for them. Yeah, no, they're in great shape. The schedule works out well. I'm not saying they can't have a better year than Buffalo. I still think Buffalo's a better team. Josh Allen's a better quarterback than Trevor Lawrence. At the moment. No, it's fair. I, yeah. I, look, no, 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 I'm not sitting there drawing a line in the sand here and acting like Buffalo's, you know, the 90s Bills when they were going to Super Bowls. But I, I still think you have to give them credit for what they've been able to accomplish. And one thing we know, if you've got to go to Orchard Park, and unless it's Joe Burrow, not an easy place to play in January. Well, the one concern also, Buffalo is built like a dome team. The way that offense is built, they are built like a dome offense. I'll just say this. I wouldn't bet the Bills at plus 120 to win this division. I would not either. The fact that they are shorter than Cincinnati to win, Cincinnati is to win the North is crazy to me. I don't even understand that. The Bengals, to me, should be almost a minus favorite. It's a, look, the Browns could be good, but I think the Ravens are a good team. I think Cincinnati's just slightly better, and I think this is the year the Bengals take the step. We're heading to baseball next. The second half underway. A few fun props over the DraftKings Sportsbook that we'll look at here on Sharp Money. This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSIN, the sports betting network. Welcome back in. It's Sharp Money here on VSIN. I'm Jeff Parles. I'm all Shaw alongside Wine Tom Check here as well. All right, I'm all. I'm not Dave Ross. I can tell you that. But we are going to talk the Cowboys here. I know, uh, know you're super excited for that. <laughs> um, well, it's just that we have so many Cowboy fans here. Ross, John Goulet, Femi, they're all Cowboy fans. And none here. of them are from Dallas or well, Texas. 
forget the fact they're not from Texas. They're not even like remotely close to there. I didn't realize Femi was a Cowboys fan. Yeah, you know, I, you don't make that correlation. Somebody growing up in Seattle. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that. I knew. I knew. I knew uh, our program director John Goulet was, and I. I you don't and, make. He, I mean, he's from Connecticut. Why and, wouldn't you think he's a Cowboy? Well, fan? I, well I knew that at least. And then Dave Ross, who uh, where where's the star on his sleeve, uh, <laughs> as he usually does. See, uh, uh, earlier on Best Bets, uh, I was gonna say he, he, when he heard that the Cowboys are underappreciated. Dave lit up like a Christmas tree. Is, is the happy, why, happiest he's been in months. That's yeah. why I put this in the uh, rundown. I need them all to kind of bring everyone down on the Cowboys. <laughs> so, well, I, well, let me tell you right now, I'm not bringing them down. I, I still think they're the third best team in the NFC. That's uh, you're going out as big of a limb as I was with the Dodgers winning the West with saying that. I don't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, so so Dallas, Dallas right now to win the NFC six to one to win the conference. Uh, win total for the Dallas Cowboys again over at the DraftKings Sportsbook. You're looking at nine and a half with heavy juice on the over at minus 165 right now. So if you look at the Cowboys schedule here, they open with the two New York teams. They play the Giants at MetLife and then they play the Jets right out of the gate after that. So look them all. I think common thought is that Dallas is the third best team in this conference. And and I hate I hate that I continue saying this, but Dallas needs to start four and zero based off their schedule. They're favored at, at, at MetLife against the Giants. They're going to be a small favorite against the Jets at, at, in the home opener. They're going to be a gigantic favorite in Arizona, and they're going to be a pretty reasonably sized favorite against New England in Week Four in Arlington. If Dallas is serious about dethroning the Eagles in the East, you better start four and zero with that schedule. Well, I think you're just overlooking game one at the Giants on Sunday night football. That's not an easy game. I mean, I don't uh, think it's an easy game, but it's a game that if you're serious about winning the division, you win. Maybe um, you got the Jets at home. That won't be an easy one either. I think the Cardinals at the Cardinals and and Patriots, those are manageable. Then you got to go again on Sunday night football to San Francisco uh, at the Chargers on Monday night football. Wow, back-to-back weeks out on the West Coast. Tough back-to-back there. There's no arguing that. Um, And and look, remember, Amal, the the Cowboys swept the Giants a year ago. They beat Mm -hmm. them with Cooper Rush in one of the games as well, that that week three game that no one could do anything, and then all of a sudden all the points came in the last 20 minutes of the game, uh, destroying underbetters that night. But, you know, so the nine and a half feels right on Dallas. I think 10 is the more proper win total. Where more likely than not, ten and seven probably gets it done for the five seed. Eleven definitely gets you. If they repeat the twelve and five a year ago, they're definitely the top wild card again. Of all, but you look at the way that this all plays out for Dallas. Brian Schottenheimer now the offensive coordinator. We know Kellen Moore, high profile, let go. McCarthy didn't didn't see eye to eye with him. I'm just curious, and again, you say week one's not an easy game. I don't think week two's an easy game, even though Dallas will be favored in that game against the Jets. But we're going to learn quickly of what this offense now looks like with Dallas. How much does this look like what Green Bay attempted to do with Rodgers? And what is Mike McCarthy as a regular season coach? I think Mike McCarthy as a regular season coach is a guy you're going to win a bunch of games with. But when the going gets tough, when the decisions get harder, that's when we've seen McCarthy fail throughout his NFL career. Tend to agree with you, but I think some of the blame should fall on Aaron Rodgers as well, right? I mean, Rodgers, for some reason, has gotten a pass for his record in the NFC Championship games. 
Dallas, you mentioned, has uh, opportunity to win 10 games, no doubt about it. They have the second-best record in the NFL. I'm sorry, third-best record in the NFL over the last two seasons. I just don't see why this Cowboys team, though, is looked at a nine-and-a-half win total. I know the schedule's daunting. They have, they're at Buffalo, at the Niners, at the Chargers. Um, I don't think the Carolina game is going to be easy at, at the Eagles, of course. So their, their schedule's definitely not an easy one. And they play, what, three Sunday night games? Um, Sunday night Sunday night against the Niners, yeah. Sunday night against the Eagles, of course, Thanksgiving uh, against Washington, Thursday night against Seattle. Both those teams will be on regular rest because they both play on Thanksgiving. Uh, Detroit is a Saturday game, which I didn't even realize that was a Saturday game. I'll tell you what, if you're uh, a Cowboys fan, you don't have to worry about ever paying for NFL Sunday ticket. You're on primetime TV or the, the big Fox game. So, so of all one thing that I will say, just looking at the back end of the schedule, like the middle part of that schedule, there's other than the Eagle game, they should go four and one in the middle. Yeah. Beat the Rams, beat the Giants at home, beat Carolina on the road in Charlotte, and beat Washington on Thanksgiving. You should go four and one in that middle portion. But that back end is really difficult. Now, there are some teams that could fluctuate where I'm low on Buffalo, even though that's a hard place to play. Right. You're lower on Miami, also not an easy place to play with the humidity in December. Um, Seattle, you're low on. I'm high on the sea, higher than you are on the Seahawks. Dude, I just think you're high. Not quite. Um, Detroit is another. Detroit's another team where I'm all. I think the variance on Detroit is is high. Yeah, I could see Detroit winning 11 games if everything goes right. I could also see them being the team that disappoints the most in the NFL. I don't have an overwhelming opinion on the line, so I'm going to refrain from that. But I'm a little bit perturbed by everybody's affinity for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, also on the flip side, um, why does everyone love Miami? Okay, so they made the playoffs last year. People like Mike McDaniel, which I think the jury is still out on him. I did not like how he executed in-game decisions in that playoff game mm -hmm. where if they don't burn their timeouts over nonsense, yeah. they might accidentally win that game with Skylar Thompson playing quarterback. You have two elite wide receivers in Hill and Waddle. Mm -hmm. The defense is going to be improved because that defense was bad for the majority of last year. Yep. You have better talent on the defense. Jalen Ramsey will help that secondary. Fangio, look, we know Fangio was not a good head coach. We know yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. But he was an awesome defensive coordinator and is one of the best no. defensive coordinators over the last 15 years. No argument there. And it comes down to Tua. It all comes down to Tua. If you think Tua is going to stay upright and be able to play, let's say, 14 games, Miami to me is a 10 11 win team in the, even in a difficult AFC. I hate to say this because I like Tua a lot as a person, but if he gets injured and a potential concussion slash head injury, probably time, it for him. That's exactly what yeah. I was going to say. So I, I don't know. I can't back a team where I'm concerned about the health of the quarterback. They're not a consistent team for me. Um, I'm not saying they can't make the playoffs, but I, I just don't understand picking the Miami Dolphins to win this division. For me, they would be the third choice in the AFC East. Right now, again, you, you look at the way that it all breaks down too. Where week 15, week 16, they go back to back in the in the AFC East. Uh, again, for me with Dallas, just pivoting back to the Cowboys. I'm all, it really is, again, it's not going out on a limb, but it's just the way that it is. Yeah. Philadelphia is better than them. San Francisco, if the quarterback situation is competent, is better than them. And then Dallas's talent just wins out in a big way. The rest of the way, and as long as Dak can stay healthy for the majority of the season, and 
credit to McCarthy and the coaching staff figuring out a way to win those games with Cooper Rush and keep that season afloat. Because remember them all, after week one last year, where they look awful against Tampa on the first Sunday night of the year, they have Cincinnati coming in in week two. Everyone's thinking, uh-oh, Cowboys are going to start 0-2. This is going to be a, a mess. Cooper Rush can't play. And then the, and the Cowboys didn't lose with Cooper Rush until that game in Philadelphia. Wow. So, and look, you know you have a backup quarterback that is capable of at least winning some games. And in the end here, I, I just think of all the, again, it's not a hot take by any stretch. Finishing with the five seed and being a favorite over the NFC South champion in the first round of the playoffs is probably what we get out of Dallas yet again like we did last year. I would agree with you. I think Philly's going to win the division. I think Philly's the best team in that division. Who do you think's better out of Philadelphia and San Francisco? Philly. Still Philly. I oh, think easy. In, Slow down there, buddy. Take, so, take a minute before you answer. No, it, because it's the quarterback. It's the quarterback play. Yeah, That's fair. the big difference because you've said it. I'm not as ag- I'm not as aggressive as you on this, but you're in the camp that San Francisco is far and away the best roster when you take out the, the quarterback position in the NFL. It's not even close, bud. There's nobody in the rear view so, mirror. So I think it's closer with Philadelphia than you're giving it credit for. Now, there are questions on Philadelphia's coaching staff now because you lose both coordinators. I'm not as concerned about that as other I, people. I, I'm not either, but that, that yeah. is at least something to look at. How, sure. how is Johnson going to do yeah. as the offensive coordinator? How is that defense going to look? Uh, again, if you ask Philadelphia fans, they're thrilled that Jonathan Gannon's not there anymore. But Sirianni, like, let's not be stupid here. Sirianni is a big part of how that why that offense looks the way that it did. And he has done it as good of a job as I can remember at any head coach adjusting to what his quarterback does well and catering his offense to what Jalen Hurts does well. That's why Hurts took the quantum leap because that offense was so perfectly designed. And now with a legit number one wide receiver in year two and A.J. Brown there, Devontae Smith's in the proper role as the number two wide receiver. It doesn't matter who's playing running back. It doesn't matter if Miles Sanders went went to the went to Carolina. Who cares? I don't disagree with you. I'm not worried about the Miles Sanders departure, but uh, Jalen Hurts is tremendous. You're right. That's the separation between Dallas, excuse me, uh, San Francisco and Philadelphia at this point. By the way, your bet on Sabrina Inescu to win the three-point shootout might have been one of the best bets of all time. Jeff, I know you weren't watching like I was. I Did she only miss, did I read that right? That she only missed three shots in the final round? No, two. two. Only missed two in the last She made one. 23 out of 25. Move over, Craig Hodges. <laughs> Move over. 20, 23 out of 25. See, you know what? Again, I was joking with Wyatt during the break. Of course, I. this would have been the bet I made. I ended up not playing it yeah. because I didn't get the price I wanted. It's obvious now. The only thing I can handicap properly is the WNBA three-point contest. I, it's, that would be Four straight years now having the right side of that. Should have made that play. And Esku with 37 in the final round, which is just insanity. Uh, just down the road from us north at Mandalay Bay. We keep it rolling. We're going back to baseball next on Sharp Money. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host 
of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.